Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here, and so glad that uh, you are here uh, with us, whether you're a regular or whether uh, this is your first time. Uh, we're just glad that you are here with us today. And we're in a series um, called Second Chances. Uh, we're in part four today of a, this series that I, I've just personally um, loved preparing for because God's doing something really uh, amazing in my life in regards to this particular subject. And um, I, don't, I don't know about you, but um, how many of you would say, just kind of taking a, a moment here um, just to kind of get us warmed up this morning, um, how many of you would say um, in your life, um, whether you're eight you know, or 80, um, that you've needed a second chance or a third chance or a fourth chance Okay, very good. If you didn't raise your hand, we have a very special small group for you in backstage right after we're done, okay? And I'm going to be there, and you're going to lead it, okay? So anyway, um, no, I'm just, you know, it's, it's the reality is, is we all need second chances, don't we? we? We all have times in our lives where we need second chances, and, and some of us, like myself, need a third and a fourth and a fifth um, chance. And God gives us those second chances, and kind of one of the definitions, kind of the baseline foundational definition that we've used in this, in this particular series um, called Second Chances uh, to define grace is this. I want you to take a look at this. This is what is grace? It is undeserved mercy. Undeserved mercy. And, you know, there's a, a part of every human being um, that has something in their lives that, that they're ashamed of, right? Right? I mean, everybody has something in their lives um, that, that they're guilty over or they have shame or, or maybe they're, they're embarrassed about it. And regardless of their level of pride or, or arrogance or, um, you know, kind of like self over self-confidence or confidence in themselves and not a confidence in God, regardless of that, um, everyone has something at some point in time in their life that they feel bad for, but they're, they're ashamed of or that they feel guilty for. And I think that we all understand that there have been times in our lives that we've done something that we just would love, we would absolutely love to just rewind it. I, I love the story I, I read a, a few years ago about uh, police in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. They were called into a neighborhood, I love this, after hearing complaints from the neighbors about a car that was driving around this neighborhood in reverse. Well, when, when they arrived, they, uh, they pulled over this car, and to their surprise, um, out walked a teenage girl, and when she was asked why she was driving in this unusual way, she said, well, my parents let me use the car, and I drove way too many miles than they told me to do, so I thought I would just try to rewind it. I mean, I love that story, but we try to do that with our lives, don't we? And we just try to rewind like what's happened that has caused us so much pain and so much hurt and so much harm. And there's a lot of those things that's caused us pain and harm and hurt that we're embarrassed and we're guilty and we're shameful of that we've brought on ourselves. It's, it's kind of it's self-inflicted. We've done something that has caused ourselves or maybe even caused others pain and harm. And we're remorseful about it, but we're remorseful to the point that we just cannot get over the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment. The, the problem with it 
is that when, when we realize that we've done something that we're guilty about or that we're shameful for or that we're embarrassed by, um, we try on our own strength as hard as we can to get over that thing, whatever it is. We, we try on our own strength to rewind and, and, and get over that guilt or get over that shame. There's a guy by the name of Mike Foster. He's the founder of People of Second Chance, and he wrote a book, a little book called Graceonomics. And he says one of the problems in human history is that there's a grace shortage. Don't you love that? There's a shortage of grace. He describes it that way. He says there's a shortage of grace. And I love this. He, he makes these three points about the fact that there's a shortage of grace. You see, he says this. When there's a shortage of grace, we do one of three things, or sometimes we do a combination of these things, and in many cases, we might do all of these things. But he says this. When there's a shortage of grace, um, we try to scrape by without it. Don't you love that? Like when there's a shortage of something, sometimes we try to scrape by without it. And Mike suggests that sometimes when there's a shortage of grace, when maybe somebody's not offering you grace or you're not offering yourself grace, that's kind of where we're going to land today. Or if you don't feel like God is offering you grace, you try to scrape by without it. And when that happens, you become very self-reliant. You rely on yourself. The second thing he says that happens is, is that sometimes you pay more for grace than you ever wanted to. And I would suggest that when we pay more for grace than we ever wanted to, we stand on what other people think about us. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be, isn't it? And the third thing that he says when there's a shortage of grace is, is that we often find a substitute for grace in our lives. Wow. He even goes on to suggest that often it's some sort of addiction. That substitute is something that we have allowed to come in our lives and substitute the work of God's grace in our lives. You see, when we end up standing on something other than the grace of God to get us through the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment that we have in our lives because of maybe something that we've done or something that has been done to us, when we stand on anything other than God's grace, we will eventually fail. We might feel good for a moment, or it might provide us some kind of security for a short period of time, but at some point in time, that thing that we stand on, that substitute, whether it's just grit and determination, or whether it's standing on our own good works, we'll talk about that in a moment, or whether it's standing on what other people think about us, I do that very often, or whether it's standing on some kind of substitute for grace, eventually, please hear me, eventually, that thing or that person or that mindset will eventually fail. Today is our fourth installment in this series, Second Chances. In the first one, we talked about the fact that God offers a salvation-type grace that he offers to all humanity for all time. You see, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to go into a tomb, and three days later be resurrected from the dead to be with God. And he did that so that we could have salvation for our sins, redemption for our sins. And all we have to do to access the saving grace that God offers through Jesus is to just believe. Just believe. That's all it takes. Faith. 
And then in week two, we talked about the fact that we need daily grace to live. We need daily grace to go through the trials that we have, the faults that we have. And we talked about the fact that there are certain things that we need to put in our lives as much as the salvation grace that God gives is something that we do nothing about except for belief. The daily grace that we can receive from God requires us to be in a position to receive that grace from God. And so there are things that you can do to put yourself in a position to be able to receive that. I want to encourage you to go to our podcast and listen to that as we kind of discuss some of the really basic things of living the Christian life, because we all need daily grace. Last week on Mother's Day, we considered um, five different women who Jesus offered grace to, and we really just set that up as an example of what we can be like. I mean, you know, he was Jesus, he was all God, we can, uh, we're, we're, we're going to fail in, in, in what we do, but we can at least model our lives in second chances after Jesus, right? And so Jesus offered grace on a regular basis. And we kind of left last week with this thought in mind. That when we become second chance grace givers, there are times, please don't miss this, there are times when we benefit as givers of second chance grace more than the receiver. There are times in our lives that if we become people who give second chances to others, that we benefit maybe even more than they do. But I want you to hear something this morning, and this is where we're going to go, and this is where we're going to land over the next few minutes this morning. I want you to hear this. You and I, we cannot be second chance grace givers if we have not given ourselves a second chance in the first place. You see, we cannot offer people a second chance with what Whatever it is that you're dealing with, wherever you've been harmed, however you've been hurt by someone, we cannot offer a second chance to someone in our lives unless we first have offered ourselves a second chance. Knowing that the basis and the foundation of that second chance is the grace of God in our lives. And that's where one of the tensions, I talked about tensions a few weeks ago, that's where one of the tensions lies in this whole idea of living like we have a second chance. Is that we can't possibly extend grace, second chance grace to someone unless we have fully understand what God's done in and through us through the power of Jesus Christ and given ourselves a second chance so that we can truly, 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 maybe for the first time, have freedom from guilt and shame and embarrassment. You see, far too many people, even Christians, maybe even more so Christians, walk around with this, this cloud of guilt hanging over their heads and, and hanging over their lives. And, and it prevents us, when we do that, it prevents us from being all that God wants us to be. It prevents us from being truly second chance grace givers. And when we do that, we become so overwhelmed by what we've done in the past, or maybe by what has happened to us in the past. And we are overcome with this idea of guilt and shame and embarrassment. You know how I know? I know because I've been there. And I've allowed the power of guilt to squeeze out and edge out the power of God's grace in my own life. 
And I think one of the keys to living an abundant life that Jesus talks about is to offer yourself a second chance. Now that is a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, that's like remarkably easier to say, yeah, all I need to do is give myself a second chance. I mean, you come into my office for some like deep counseling and you pour your heart out to me as your pastor and I go, hey, all you need to do is give yourself a second chance. That's a good answer, isn't it? It's very difficult for us to understand what it means to give ourselves second chances. I want to take a look at four tools, four steps that we can take in our lives, practical steps that can help us overcome the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment of something that we've done or something that has been done to us. And listen, I pray and I hope, as we've been leading up to this week, my prayer and my hope is and has been that some of you may receive freedom from that for the first time and really understand what abundant life is in Christ. Let's take a look at your notes this morning. How do I give myself a second chance? How in the world can I be a second chance giver to myself? I believe it begins with your mind. Take a look at the first point. First, we must be willing to allow our thought life. You must be willing to allow your thought life to be turned upside down. Listen, you must be willing to allow your thought life to be turned completely upside down. I'm convinced that we in the Christian community um, don't give enough uh, credence to what our mind does um, to our spiritual lives. <laughs> we, allow our, we allow everything and anything into our minds. We allow every thought that comes into our minds to just kind of remain there. And what it does is it simmers, and we, we fail to recognize the fact that our minds are connected to our spiritual lives. Our minds are truly connected to our journey with God. And listen, I want you to hear this today. Some of you right now in this room who have been Christ followers for a long time, you're either being made into a person who is serious about your faith walk because of the things that you think of that are helpful for that, or you're being devastated by the thoughts that come into your mind and you allow them to fester and to simmer. And the thoughts that we put in our minds that cause destruction of our lives can absolutely be like a cancer that spreads all throughout our bodies. And we wake up one day and we wonder why we've come so far from where we were with God. It's because we allowed our minds to be open to the things of the world and not the things of God. The Bible has so much to say about what we should do with our minds. Our minds are pivotal. Everything, everything in our spiritual life depends on what we dwell upon and what we think about. The Bible's clear on that. I want you to take a look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Look at this second part. He says, and we take every, what is that next word? Thought. What's the word after thought? Captive to obey Christ. 
to obey Christ. What Paul is saying there is literally, we need to take the thoughts that come into our minds and we need to capture them and we need to hold them, just like a prisoner, right? I mean, this, is, this thought is causing destruction. What do you do with a criminal? You catch them and you isolate them from the rest of society, right? That's the picture that Paul is giving us, please don't miss this, of how detrimental our thoughts are, how impactful our thoughts are to our spiritual lives. We need to take every thought captive. Now, now let, me, let me give you some relief this morning. You see, here's the fact. I love that commercial, um, We Are Only Human. You know the commercial, We Are Only Human, I think it's an insurance commercial. Like, you know, things happen because we are only human. You and I are going to have non-God thoughts come into our minds on a regular basis. You know why? Because we are, you can say it with me, only human, okay? That's just part of sin and the results of sin in the world, is that we are going to have things that come into our minds that have the potential to cause destruction. What Paul is saying is, is he's not saying here that you're not going to ever be free from the bad thoughts, the negative thoughts, the thoughts that like pull you down into the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment of life, or maybe even the sins that got you there in the first place. I'm just saying possibly. What Paul is saying, please don't miss this, Paul is saying that you need to capture those thoughts. You need to isolate them from your mind. It is so vitally important. If we want to have an abundant life in Christ, if we want to give ourselves a second chance when it comes to God's grace working in our lives, that we control what we think about. Now listen, let me just pause for a moment. I know what some of you are thinking, and I'll get emails this week. This is not some kind of new age power of positive thinking thing, because that is self-reliant. What Paul is saying here is he is saying that we need to become God-reliant when it comes to the thoughts that come in to our minds. And some of you are here today. Let me tell you this. Some of you are here today, and I know how this goes. I understand how this works. You're here today, and whatever you've done in the past that has caused you harm or it's caused someone else harm, you think about that, and you dwell upon it, and you prevent yourself from having a second chance because you continue to think about those things. You continue to allow that to fester in your life, and you wake up one day and you wonder why you're so far from God. It's because you didn't take every thought captive and isolate it from your mind. And there's some of you who are here today, and you're so caught up with the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment of life that you actually allow the original thing that got you there in the first place to stay in your mind. You haven't taken it captive. You haven't taken it and isolated it from the rest of your mind and your body. This isn't about positive thinking. This is about relying on God for your thoughts. And listen, I, I want to let some of you off the hook in, in some regard here. This will not happen overnight. This kind of change, turning the way you think upside down, will not change overnight. 
You may begin to see some change overnight, but you have to train yourself to think on things that are productive for your spiritual life, not destructive in your spiritual life. And I love it because Paul gives us the formula for that. You know, it's not like Paul says, hey, take every thought captive and good luck with that. Have fun, guys. Hope it goes well. Hope you have fun with that. He actually describes what we can do in another book in the letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi in Philippians 4.8. He says this, and this, listen, this can become the grid for the way you and I think. He says, finally, brothers, and let's just add sisters in there, okay? So finally, brothers and sisters, I mean, it's one day after Mother's Day, we have to add sisters in there. Okay, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Think on these things. See, it's not power of positive thinking. If you try to do that, at some time you're going to fail. But if you take this grid and you allow your thoughts to go through this grid, you can weed out and you can separate those thoughts which cause you to go further and deeper into the guilt and into the shame and into the despair that you have in life. That's the formula right there, isn't it? I mean, some of us need to take that verse and put it on our refrigerator or on the mirror in our bathroom or in our workplace so that we think on those things, things that will be productive in our spiritual life, things that will help us to give ourselves a second chance and not keep us down in the guilt and in the mire. I firmly believe that your potential and my potential for giving ourselves second chances is determined by what we do and by what you do with your mind and with your thinking and if you choose to focus on those things that Paul suggests are constructive, you will be in a position to offer yourself a second chance from what has happened in your past. So for some of you today, it begins and it ends with your mind. It begins and it ends with your mind. The second thing that will help us give ourselves a second chance is that we need to recognize, you need to recognize that you will never be without flaws. You will never be without flaws. Aren't you encouraged by being in church this morning? You know, we, we have this, we, we don't have this mindset that, that we're not without flaws, right? I mean, most of us would say, yeah, I, I, I do dumb things all the time. I mean, I do. I, I'm, I'm not perfect. Most of us would say I'm not perfect. But, you know, we, we sometimes have this air, we sometimes have this passive-aggressive type attitude in our lives that, that kind of leads us down the same path of really thinking we're perfect. Um, especially those of you who are part of my generation. I mean, we grew up with teachers and principals and even parents that like said that we were good at everything. Even when we were bad at stuff, they praised us for it. You know what I mean? And, and I think that mindset has lured a generation into thinking and believing that we're better than we are. Here's how this goes. 
Um, we're, we're faced with our flaws, or we're faced with our sin, or we're faced with our faults, and the first thing that we do is we look behind us and look at our, the stuff that we've done that's good, or the stuff that we have done that's not bad, and we try to prop ourselves up on that, don't we? I, I, I love this principle because I deal with this all the time. I, I remember um, in high school, um, my dad confronted me about a shirt that I was wearing before I went to school one day. And I was a good son, and I, I said, okay, you know, tell me about what you think about you know, what the shirt is here that I'm wearing and why it's wrong. But in the back of my mind, what I was thinking was, wait a minute, I'm not a bad kid. I, I don't do things that embarrass you. I, I do a lot of really good things. I haven't caused you and mom any harm. All you've got is what I'm wearing, my shirt. Really? But I think that we do that sometimes, don't we? we? We look at our past and we look at what we've done or what we haven't done that could be wrong, and we rely on that. And I think it's something that keeps us from offering ourselves a second chance. We have to realize that when we think that we are better than we are, we deceive ourselves. John talked about this in 1 John, this letter that he wrote. He says this, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You see, for, for many of us in here, the, the reason that we're having trouble giving ourselves a second chance in life is not because we believe we're so bad, but intrinsically we kind of believe that we're so good and that we don't have any faults. And listen, here's the relief part of this conversation. There is freedom in admitting that we have faults, isn't there? There's freedom in admitting that we mess up. There's freedom capture this, in admitting that we are flawed and sinful, and God knew that, and he loved us anyway. You see, when we get our minds around that kind of attitude, then we're in a position to offer ourselves a second chance in life. But so often we deceive ourselves, and it keeps us from offering ourselves a second chance. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, says the same thing that John said. Listen to this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There's a prophet, Jeremiah, this man of God, who was saying, the heart is deceitful above all else. And that, for those of you who are here today, who are, who are in shame and in guilt and in embarrassment about those things that have happened or that you've done in your life, don't allow that thought to drive you further into it. Allow it to be a relief. Yeah, I'm flawed. I'm flawed. I messed up. And God loved me anyway. Thirdly, take refuge in the promise that heaven is your ultimate home. If you're in here today and you've put your trust in Jesus to be your Savior, you have a hope that all the other people don't have that your future home is heaven. And some of you may be so overwhelmed by the results and the consequences of what you've done in your past, and it's driven you down into this guilt and shame and embarrassment, so much so that you forget about what the ultimate prize is. The ultimate prize is heaven. Paul speaks of this in 
2 Corinthians. By the way, he's speaking to a church who got it wrong on a thousand levels. And he chastises them for getting it wrong in a lot of different areas. But then he comes back around to give them hope at the end of this book. And look what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says, do not, what are those next few words? Lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. If you're in here today and you're going through depression or you're going through remorse or you're going through a difficult year or life or decade because of something that you did years ago, and it is causing you not to give yourself second chance grace, be reminded that through Jesus Christ, you can have, or hopefully you do have, if you put your belief in him, the hope of heaven. That what you're going through is just temporary. And lastly, to give yourself a second chance, you must embrace every circumstance in your life as an opportunity for God to do something great. Embrace every circumstance in your life as an opportunity for God to do something great. Please don't miss this, because we all need to hear this from time to time. We all need to hear this from time to time. You see, we make the assumption that the pieces of our lives cannot be put back together in a way that was better than before. That's what we think in ourselves. That's what we think when we stand on ourselves when it comes to second chances. We fail to believe and we fail to remember and we fail to remind ourselves that God was the creator of everything that we see. And if he spun the stars into space and if he put the planets where they're supposed to be and if he created this beautiful ocean that those of us who live around get to look at all the time, sorry if you're just vacationing here, it's true. I mean, we do, sorry. You have a city you go back to. We have this. We get to see God's creation. I'm bragging totally here. But anyway, that's all right. I mean, if that was what the creator did, listen, he can put the pieces of your life back together in a way that is maybe even more beautiful than before. Broken truly can be beautiful if we rely on God. But we don't have peace about the fact that he can do it. Jesus said, I come to give peace. Look at John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But he says, I have, what's that next word? Overcome the world. There's a story in the Old Testament right at the beginning. It's in the book of Genesis. It's about a man named Joseph. And he was the son of one of the patriarchs of the Jewish people, Jacob. And he was the favored son, so much so that his brothers captured him and sold him into slavery in Egypt. And as God would have it, he took this man and he raised him up in the ranks of Egypt and he became one of the most powerful people in all of Egypt at a critical time in Jewish history. But then at the end of Genesis, there's this awkward thing that happens. You see, Jacob's brothers captured him years ago. 
Their father, or Joseph's, Joseph's brothers have captured him years ago. His father, Jacob, has now died. And these folks have to get together at a funeral. That's what happens sometimes at funeral. People who don't like each other that often have to get together. And it's a little awkward. And so these brothers who realize that Joseph was now pretty much in charge of the whole country of Egypt realize they have got to do something about this. And so they had a letter sent to Joseph asking for his forgiveness. And then they went to Joseph and they bowed down to Joseph. And because Joseph was a godly man, this is how he responded in Genesis 50, 20. He says, as for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, when we hear the story of Joseph, when we realize that story at the end of Genesis there, we often make the conclusion that that's about forgiveness, and it is. It's a great story of forgiveness, but I want you to hear this today. What if, what if, what if, what if each one of you, in terms of your past regrets, in terms of the guilt and the shame of the embarrassment, what if you truly, truly got your mind around the fact that God will take it and make something good out of it? I want you to check out the screens here for a moment and hear this story. From my early age, I've always believed that there is one God, that He's powerful, that He controls everything. But I was able to mentally put that in a box because it didn't affect me as an individual. It was more of a knowledge base. Um, we were in the real estate business, and if you uh, look back in the, in the mid-2000s, it did really well. And so we um, did well financially. We acquired things. We acquired debt. If you will remember back in the middle of 2000, it also went really bad. And when it went really bad, um, our business began to decline very rapidly. We had uh, used money that we shouldn't have and had crossed over the legal lines. And so there came a day in July where uh, we didn't have enough money to cover the, uh, the checks that were out. And that launched a three-year investigation with the um, FBI and the criminal division of the IRS. During that process of um, investigation, my, uh, my father was diagnosed with melanoma cancer. Dad, dad passed on um, February 4th. And then the weeks after that, um, had to process um, both him no longer being there as my best friend, and then um, what I was going to face as far as prison. As I went in to prison, my perspective changed to a purpose. So that means I'm here for a couple different reasons. I'm either here to help myself in my relationship with Jesus, or help somebody else, or both. There was a group of Spanish-speaking um, inmates that had gained approval to have a Spanish-speaking church service, but they would not allow them to have Spanish Bibles. Well, I told them, I said, you know, if you guys need Bibles, I'll figure out a way to get them in here. And we furnished the Spanish-speaking church with Bibles. It was less than a week before I was set to be released. The pastor of that church was in, the, in one of the lines that I was waiting in. And he said, 
I have to tell you something about those Bibles. The night that we got approved, we prayed and said, Lord, we need somebody, some way to get Bibles in here. He said, the next day we met you. And in his broken English, in that line, he started yelling, God used you, God used you. What do I think Christ wants to do in my life now that I'm out? That's a tough one. I know this, I know that he loves me. I know that he's been with me in the past. And so when I go through these difficult transitions and when others around me go through difficult transitions, I have that to look back on. And so I'm not afraid of the future. I'm not afraid of what's to come because I know that he's wrapped me up and he's embraced me. And having to rebuild my life as if, you know, from the outside, he's right there with me, but it's built on a different foundation this time. And it's incredible to have this do-over, if you will. And, I got, and I've caused a lot of pain for others around me. And I've caused a lot of pain for myself. But He's the healer. A few years after Cynthia and I moved to Hilton Head, I got a call from a college buddy of mine. He and I were really close in college, and I had lost touch with him over the years. And hadn't heard from him in a while, and got a call from him out of the blue one day. This is 10, 15 years later. And he said, I'm going to be in Hilton Head. I'd love to sit down and talk with you sometime. My family's come there for vacation. I said, great, let's do that. So we met at Fiesta Fresh, which is where I meet everybody. <laughs> And we had some pleasantries. We talked about the day and how the vacation was. And he said, well, how are you doing? I told him about the church and the family, my golf game, you know, that kind of stuff. We had a nice little chat. And I said, well, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing good. But in a month, I've got to report to a federal penitentiary where I'm going to spend the next three years of my life. What? It was Scott. That was him. This is a guy who went, grew up in a Christian school, went to Christian elementary school, went to a Christian middle school, went to a Christian high school. We met at Liberty University, a Christian college, and his life became a disaster because, because of some choices that he made. And the ripple effects were great with his family, an extended family. And as compelling as his story is, I gotta tell you, the thing that I was most amazed with when I sat there and talked to him that day, is he had a peace and a confidence. And I said, Scott, how are you so calm? He said, man, God's done an amazing work in my life. So much so that I realized that his grace covers anything that I've done in the past. I gotta face the consequences of what I've done. But he said this, he said, I've forgiven myself. And I would imagine that there are some of you who are here today who truly need to forgive yourself for what you've done in the past. You're trying to rewind what's going on in your life. You don't believe that God can use it for good because you truly haven't walked in the strength and in the power of His grace. Christine's going to sing a song here. And as she, as she sings, I want you to think about, I want you to pray about, and I want you just to talk to God about what his grace means to you and how you can implement it in your life 
to offer yourself a second chance.